Welcome to the NFL. Welcome to the NFL, rookie. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the DWZ, the Dynasty Warzone Rookie Rundown. And today is beginning a special series here on the Rookie Rundown. My people, we are going through an eight-week series covering all eight divisions, all the rookies, as always here on the Rookie Rundown. And we're going to be calling this series the first year forecasting series. So we're going to be going through each division in the NFL, covering all the rookies and looking at both realistic as well kind of optimistic and slightly biased, if you want to say that, based off of some of the guests that I have here. And the first guest, the illustrious guest, you know him well if you've been listening to the series over the last two years. It is my buddy Andrew Erickson, formerly of PFF, currently with Fantasy Pros. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing excellent. We're recording this on a Thursday, so it means we're sniffing the weekend. The weekend is, is, is slowly approaching, and we are peak best guy this guy's in the best shape of his life season this guy looks like he's put on 20 pounds of mass i mean the draft boards are moving up and down based on whether a guy is in shape or not can he run sprints i'm 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 here for it yeah yeah it's hard not to we just got that uh that self-reported paris campbell i'm fully healthy uh message that came out on sleeper so absolutely love it it, man he's 100 percent healthy in may like i mean wheels up baby for paris campbell (laughs) yeah talk to me week three buddy let's see how those (laughs) hamstrings are doing but yeah so like i said everyone we're gonna be going through everyone's favorite division here not really it's usually a division that people don't like that much mainly because it's been a dynasty for the better part of about two decades now with Mr. Andrews' team, the New England Patriots. That's right. We are going over the AFC East and all the rookies associated with the teams. So, Andrew, just give us your overarching view of what the AFC East is right now with the exodus of Tom Brady. You've had a year, two years, basically, to just kind of digest it, see what's going on. Where are you at in your headspace-wise? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really the Bills, and then everybody else is just trying to kind of pick for scraps here. And I think the Bills – and you'll give credit to them. They really timed this so that Josh Allen would break out right as Tom Brady would basically leave the AFC East, giving them an opportunity to have a, a vice grip on this division. I think you know they're the Super Bowl favorites. They're not even just the favorites to win the AFC East. They are the Super Bowl favorites entering the 2022 season. And I, I, don't, say it, I don't think I disagree. Uh, I think that they're up and down the best roster on the team or the best – roster in the nfl and you know even in the draft they didn't really have a lot of needs they hit the nail on the head with Kyrie elam who i think was a great first round pick even though i was like oh you gotta draft Brees hall like you gotta do it and it really didn't make sense for them to do that and they were smart and they drafted a cornerback when they clearly needed a cornerback and, and they got a really good one in it so credit to them for making the smart choice by going with the defensive back there and yeah the bills i, I think they're a legit super bowl contender i think that they have a really good shot and then with the other three teams, you have the Patriots, Dolphins, and Jets who are trying to figure out, I think that they all have their quarterbacks in mind. But, I mean, if all these quarterbacks like flame out this year, then it's like, okay, well, do they have their quarterbacks? I know Miami has a lot of first-round picks next year. So if they're like, you know what, we don't want two anymore, we want to move on, that's interesting. But they're trying to make a run based on all the moves that they've made transactions the Patriots are still just trying to not be horrible but also be be contenders at the same time they just don't want to be a bad team and I don't think they will be but 
you know, how high is their ceiling, I think is the question mark with the Patriots. And then the Jets are just praying to the Lord that Zach Wilson is good. Like that, that's really what they're just hoping. And they're going to get the answer this year because he has a ton of talent around him. And if he sucks, they at least know, all right, he's not the answer. We got to draft a new quarterback. So we're going to learn a lot this year in the AFC East. And uh, I, again, for me, I, the team I'm fading the most is definitely the Dolphins. Like I, I don't, I don't buy this Tua stuff at all in terms of putting him, putting weapons around him. Oh, it's going to be, you know, they're the team that's going to come in second. They're a wild card team. I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I don't think that Tua has had two years to show the NFL what, what, how good he is. And it's not like he hasn't had anything around him. Yeah, the offensive line has not been great, but you got to do something, man. You got to flash, and he just hasn't. So for me, I'm a little underwhelmed by the Dolphins and, and their hype. So they're a team that I'm not as high on. And Zach Wilson, again, it's only been one year for him, so I'm a little bit more optimistic. Like, all right, let's see in year two. His, his situation hasn't been good either. But eventually you have to look at some of these quarterbacks and be like, look, Sam Darnold never had a good situation, and he still was horrible. Like, so like there, there's also that scenario too where they're just, you know, they are continue to play bad because they're actually bad and they're in a bad situation as well. And even when you put them in a good situation with good weapons – Oh, wow. Well, you know, they're still bad because they just never were good in the first place. So that's my overarching take on the AFC East. Yeah, no, uh, encompassing wide and varied. Uh, you started out with the Buffalo Bills, and that's actually where I was going to start with this rookie analysis. First of all, um, there's been a lot of I think the overarching theme for this division for me, um, we chatted about it briefly, is the change at OC for a lot of these teams. And it's a very under the radar change for a lot of them that people aren't really discussing with some of these big namestays that we're used to, as well as some of these highly vaulted and highly like lauded after rookies in this rookie class based off a landing spot. Um, No longer are we left with the illustrious passing offense and the Josh Allen whisperer and reformer himself, Brian Dable. He now is with the New York Giants. Uh, Then segue in the QB coach, Ken Dorsey, as the new OC. You're assuming basically that you're going to get the same offense to be there with Josh Allen. Why change what isn't broken, basically? Um, But you have to wonder how much of a hand on the steering wheel did Dable have versus Ken Dorsey in the QB room when it came to that illustrious rise that we've seen of Josh Allen over the last year to two years, basically. Um, Allen, at the beginning of your franchise, at the driver's seat in your offense, is a great place to be for any offense in general, and it usually spells into great offensive production for fantasy players in general. But that's not the only reason to be optimistic for some of these rookies coming into this team. There are 193 three vacated targets on the Buffalo Bills from last year. Um, skill position losses include those of scat back Matt Breida, Cole Beasley, uh, one of the most surefire slot receivers of the last basically half a decade between the Bills and the Cowboys, as well as the age-old vet in Emmanuel Sanders, who is perennially disrespected for the production that he gives you when he is healthy. Um, the additions that they made in the offseason to kind of help with those is bringing in basically a one-for-one switch in a Duke Johnson to fill that Matt Breida role that Breida was messing around with, kind of. Uh, they brought in O.J. Howard to back up Dawson Knox at the tight end position, and they brought in Jameson Crowder, hopefully to go ahead and man that slot role in a very similar capacity to what we've seen from Cole Beasley in Buffalo. But the two people I care about as a rookie connoisseur, and I'm sure you're interested to see what they are going to produce in the rookie seasons, are the two namestays on the offense that the Buffalo Bills brought in. That is James Cook out of the University of Georgia in the second round, and my personal darling prior to the NFL draft, 
Khalil Shakir, who unfortunately my Chicago Bears traded away <laughs> with the Buffalo Bills, who traded up 20 picks to select them. And guess what? We're just rolling out with Bayless Jones Jr. So that one hurt my physical soul. I wasn't right. A lot of the people in the Patreon were, uh, you know, giving me flack for it. But what is your just general take on them as prospects, just so people can see what your opinion was about James Cook and Khalil Shakir prior to their landing spots with Buffalo? Yeah, no, it's it's funny that you use the word rolled out Velas Jones, you know, because he has to be pushed out into his wheelchair because he's so old. Uh, yeah. The Velas Jones old jokes will never get old. Uh, so it's absolutely great. Love it. So with the running back, James Cook, I think it's interesting to go back to a point you made about Ken Dorsey, you know, now going in as the offensive coordinator. And I just actually just made this connection very quickly because I was just interested. You know, I, I hadn't done a lot of research on Ken Dorsey specifically because I think I assume, like most people, okay, you know, he's taken over for Dable. He's been their quarterback's coach since 2019. You know, why change what's not broken? Like, Josh Allen's balling out. Like, we're going to continue to be an up-tempo offense. We're going to pass the ball a ton. But the big thing, the big emphasis the Bills have made this whole entire offseason has been, all right, we need a pass-catching running back. Like, every move that they have made in transaction, whether it's been a rumor, whether it's something that a, a deal that fell through, whether it was the J.D. McKissick thing, they were rumored to want to draft Travis Etienne in the first round last in last year's draft. They wanted to trade for Christian McCaffrey. Like these were all things that were in their plans for this season. And I wonder if Ken Dorsey was a driver behind that based on the fact that he was with Carolina from 2013, 2017, who did they draft in the first round in 2017? A guy named Christian McCaffrey, who is our, who is probably the best pass catching running back, if not you know a top three pass catching running back in the NFL. So that's their guy in James Cook. And and the big question with him in year one is okay, like what's you know people will cite his workload in Georgia. You know he wasn't seeing a lot of touches. So like yeah, like Georgia doesn't ever feature one running back. Like why are we surprised and inciting that as a reason to you know fade him in in the nfl because he's going to be used exactly the same way he was used at georgia which is not necessarily true i would assume that they're probably going to use him more and they're going to use him in the passing game and i don't know about you but i play in ppr leagues and halfway ppr leagues like not in 1980s football where you want these two down grinders like james cook is not that like james cook is in my opinion probably up with rashad white as like the best pure pass catcher in this offense but he offers explosiveness that I don't think Devin Singletary or Zach Moss necessarily have. And he's five foot eleven and 199 pounds. I think that people look at that like, oh, like he's like really small. Like that's not that small. Like, like there are plenty of running backs that see plenty of volume in the NFL that come in at that weight. Something that pointed out to me about James Cook, you know, a stat that I look at when I'm looking at rookie running backs is career yards per snap. So basically when they're on the field, like are they creating yards in some way, shape or form based on their opportunity? Okay. Not looking at counting stats overall because he was splitting carries with a lot of other talented running backs in Georgia. So career three yards per snap. That threshold for me is really important for a running back to hit as a rookie. The two guys that hit it last year for me were Elijah Mitchell and Ramondre Stevenson. Two guys that were taken much later on that were effective as rookies and gained value. If you drafted those guys in your rookie drafts last year, you got a, an asset that is now more valuable than it was. So that's a success. Like, so you, they don't even have to do anything for the rest of their careers. You could trade them now, and you're going to get more than what you invested in them in the first place, which is ultimately always going to be a net win for you in the dynasty format. So for me, James Cook, again, I definitely bumped him up more. Now he, he earned second-round draft capital. We know that draft capital matters because of the opportunity that it presents these running backs. And I, I thought that the fit was really good. Now, 
Josh Allen, does he throw to running backs? I think that he might if they now have a running back that can be used in the passing game. So that's the thing that's going to change potentially with Ken Dorsey. Do they run Josh Allen less? Like that would probably make a lot of sense for them to do. Why are we trying to run this guy into the backs of linebackers and defensive linemen when we're paying him X amount of money in the playoffs? Okay, whatever. We're going to unleash Josh Allen. We don't really care. But during the regular season, you see this with Mahomes. Mahomes doesn't rush nearly as much during the regular season as he does in the playoffs. And I would, I would assume that we're going to see less rushing from Josh Allen and more targets to the running backs with a guy like James Cook, because the team has been so dead set on adding this piece to their offense so those are kind of my thoughts on uh, James Cook. Yeah, no. Uh, so personally for me, a lot of people that are listening right now with my channel, as opposed to anyone that's tuning in due to your tag or soon to be tag on Twitter. Uh, James Cook was not one of my favorite prospects. Um, the size wasn't really the biggest coming in. It was the lack of usage and everyone lost his explosiveness, which yes, he tested well um he didn't blow anything out of the weight and height adjusted metrics when it comes to how big he was um but i think the thing that has burned into a lot of people's minds um is the recency bias of the michigan game from this year if you look at the michigan game it was nationally televised against a top four team um basically who is going to move on in the playoffs he absolutely exploded on that nationally televised game the bowl game when everyone's paying attention if you take away that receiving game, which he had 118 yards and a touchdown, very nice, very explosive, looked great on the field against one of the better defenses in all of NCAA, he averaged 12 receiving yards per game the rest of the season. That is a red flag for me when you're looking at a guy on a team who that was his role. That was all he did was to be the pass catching back. And if you're only averaging 12 receiving yards a game, what, what are you doing? I, I just don't understand why he wasn't getting more workload in college. So that's the biggest red flag I have with James Cook. But similar fashion to you, he has raised up my ranks. He got second round draft capital. It's that that simple. Um, you can't take him behind some running backs that got drafted immediately behind him in the third or fourth round. Um, landing spot's great. They're looking for that pass catcher. I still think that Devin Singletary is criminally underrated. We, we kind of chatted about this on Twitter earlier in this offseason. Uh, he won me a championship, and he I probably won a lot of people a championship with his play that he was able to do down the stretch when they finally stopped dabbling with the Zach Moss atrocity in the backfield. Um, going on to the receiving option, Khalil Shakir, he was my boy. Um, I, Wait, well, from you say a, that like in the past tense, but like, so is he not your boy anymore now that he was a fifth-round <laughs> pick? I mean, I, I – yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I do still like him. Um, it was a good landing spot as well. I just don't know exactly where the consistent targets are going to go with the re-signing of Isaiah McKenzie as the explosive threat in the offense, the bringing in of Jamison Crowder, who is literally his only role is to be that short chain mover. You have Stefan Diggs, who is also a chain mover, but works slightly longer in intermediate distance and can take the top off. But that's kind of been restricted ever since he moved to Buffalo. They're trying to basically give that role to someone else. They tried it last year with Emmanuel Sanders. Gabe Davis has been sneakily out there on the outside trying to also have that role. And also you're looking at realistically an increase in the target total to a guy like Gabe Davis, who basically broke the Kansas City Chiefs during the playoffs last year, as well as Dawson Knox becoming more consistent with his hands, as well as bringing in O.J. Howard, 
the definition of a boom bust deep threat tight end who was breaking defenses when he was healthy before his terrible leg injury. So I just don't know where consistent targets are going to come as a rookie. Um, He's a guy I'm more inclined to be picking up probably later on in the season um, just to stash later on when someone who decides to draft him this year sees that you're getting absolutely no production from a fifth round wide receiver and drops him at some point. Um, I think that's the realistic kind of avenue you're going to get with a guy like Khalil Shakir, as opposed to if, if he had landed with a place where I wanted him to go, not just the Bears, if he had landed in Atlanta. They were looking for a slot receiver. They needed a true slot receiver to allow Pitts to go a little bit deeper. I thought that would have been amazing. Um, but he's just buried on a depth chart, albeit a very explosive offense depth chart that I don't think he's going to be able to break out of in year one. Yeah, no, I think that that's, you definitely raised the concerns for his year one production. I guess my argument in the optimistic side of view things with Khalil Shakur, where it'd be, look, Jameson Crowder hasn't played a full season. And <clears throat> he's played a full season once in the last four years. So he's been banged up as an older veteran player. They gave Isaiah McKenzie uh, special teams money. Um, so despite the fact that he has flashed at giving opportunities in like two spot starts basically over the past couple of years, I mean, he's like a lot older and they may value him so much on special teams that they're just like, you know what? We don't really want to necessarily play you. And Khalil Shakur kind of just seems like not uh, again. It's weird to say like a luxury pick in the fifth round, but it's like, Hey man, like this is electric slot receiver that is still here in the fifth round. Like, let's just take him because we can. And who knows, like maybe he'll just vastly outplay his draft capital where, yeah, I was surprised to see him fall into the fifth round, you know, as someone that I liked a lot coming out. He was PFF's third highest graded wide receiver in the class from a college career standpoint. So it wasn't just like, oh, he produces last year. Like, no, like he's been like really productive the entire time he's been at Boise State. So mm-hmm. it, it was interesting that he did fall. But I mean, worst case scenario, you're getting a type of guy. And unfortunately, it's hard to project him to get on the field because we've seen this with Gabriel Davis where it's like every time he's on the field, the dude is just like, Oh my God, like this is so sick. Let's get him more snaps. And then they just never do give him more snaps. So I feel like that's going to happen with Shakur where he's going to get a chance, you know, someone's out or whatever Crowder, you know, pulls his hammy. All right. Shakir is in. He's going to have this one game where he's like, I'm going to blow up. We're going to be like, all right, he's the starter now. Like we're good. Crowder comes back. Shakir gets no snaps. We're like, no, like why is this happening? So, yeah, I think we're still going to see flashes, which is going to be encouraging for his stock to kind of always continue to be on the upward trajectory. But mm-hmm. from, like, a consistency standpoint, like, we're probably not – it's not going to happen probably in year one at all. Yeah, and that's my thing is, like, anyone who has been listening to my content over the soft season, I've been talking him up like crazy. He was my pre-draft wide receiver four in the class, and that was due to the fact that with the ball in his hands, he reminds me of – his prime it's like the perfect pairing when i see him on the field he's shaking and baking he's moving electric run after the catch and his physicality at the catch point for only being six foot 190 pounds is insane uh his nevada tape is i'd put his game against nevada against pretty much anyone in the class for just the circus catches he was making but with me i have to come in with the sobering reality of the situation with him and i can't just keep fluffing him up on the desire and the hope Um, just the odds of hitting on a fifth round wide receiver who is not seeing immediate time in the offense is 
it's hard to do nowadays. Uh, I've made the mistake before and I'm trying to learn from past mistakes. Uh, he's a fun profile. And if there is a preseason injury to a Jameson Crowder or really anyone in the receiving core, I'll probably feel a lot more optimistic about taking him in redraft. Um, but for dynasty purposes, even he's just kind of a taxi squad stash for me uh, in a similar capacity to a guy like Daz Newsom was last year with the bears. Um, going on to your team who is coming up next, we'll dive into the New England Patriots, who finished second in the division at 10-8. and Uh, Their offensive situation is interesting. I put LOL as the new OC comments for my notes on this one, and that's because there isn't one right now. Um, There is a lot of questions, uh, rumors that Belichick himself may be calling offensive plays for the New England Patriots going forward. Uh, can I get your live reaction to that statement? <laughs> uh, that'll be a no comment. From <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's looking weird, and I don't know how to feel about even a guy like Mac Jones. I was ecstatic, just made a trade in one of my dynasty trades to move Mac Jones off from a to a Patriots fan who was very optimistic after the team basically just moving in the right direction, drafted wide receiver early. Um, but you're looking at it. They only have 57 vacated targets from last year. They're pretty much stood pat entirely this offseason, and they brought in a big-name, big-bodied wide receiver that they've been searching for over the last couple of years in Devontae Parker. Bringing in Devontae Parker gives you the true alpha profile X wide receiver on the outside. Jacoby Myers hopefully can transition into the slot where he should have been playing this entire time as a big slot where he's extremely productive. Potentially he'll catch more than one receiving touchdown. We're hoping we're dreaming for Mr. Jacoby Myers. But when you're looking at the draft selections specifically for the new England Patriots, you are looking at Bailey Zappi came in as a backup quarterback. Cool. Don't be scared about Mac Jones shares. He's not stealing the job for anything. They're just doing the classic Patriots thing where they always draft a quarterback. The one that shocked the world was Tyquan Thornton. Uh, If there was one team that we did not expect to fall for the speed of a 40-yard dash, it was the Patriots. But at the same time, we kind of aren't that shocked based off of the track record with wide receivers. What's your take on the Taekwon Thornton pick? Where, where are you at with the Patriots right now? Just just tell the people. <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, this is something I mentioned on our live stream, like when this happened uh, on Fantasy Pros, where mm-hmm. basically I'm looking at this and I'm like, you know, the Patriots used to make fun of teams that, that would that would draft yeah. a guy solely based on the 40-yard dash time. And even in Robert Kraft's, you know, like they do those, you know, behind-the-scenes videos where the owner and, and Belichick calls the player – Robert Kraft mm-hmm. literally cites, yeah, man, we like, you ran a really fast 40 yard dash. Like, we're excited for this. <laughs> so it's like, it's like clearly that was the reason why they drafted him so high. And again, it just happens all the time. Like, we knew he was going to probably get pretty high, you know, day two draft capital, even though his profile was more of a, a day three type of player. But, you know, the one team was going to do it. And I just, I just didn't think it was going to be my team. I just, I mean, those dang Raiders trading out, you know, really saved themselves from taking the speedy receiver, you know, way too high. But I guess I wasn't surprised because the Patriots also drafted an offensive lineman much higher than they should have, which is just true Raiders format. Al Davis would have been very proud mm-hmm. of the Patriots draft, drafting the fastest guy and an <laughs> offensive lineman way too high than where he should have gone. But for, for Taekwon Thornton, I guess and, and it's, it sucks because of where they drafted him because I think the pick itself makes sense they needed speed like, like that yes. that was flat out so 
they got the right guy. They just paid like way too much. And it's like you could say, yeah, they got Aguilar last year. It's like, yeah, they paid way too much for him too. Like they, they got the right player. They just didn't do it the right way, I think is the best way to put it. But Tyquan Thornton, you again, we don't need to talk about the speed, but that's obviously a big part of his game. But mm-hmm. like that's that's a lot it for me with him. It's he doesn't offer a lot of diamonds over the over the middle of the field. Like after the catch, again, yeah, if he catches the ball and doesn't doesn't run into anybody else, then okay, great. Like he's he's gone. But mm-hmm. like I'm not confident he's gonna break tackles. Um, not the the best hands in my opinion. Um, good route runner be, because he's obviously has speed that he can offer. But I'm just not optimistic of him in year one, and and people are drafting him in, in these best ball drafts and in and dynasty leagues. I think honestly a lot higher and. and I just don't know how much his stock is really going to change in year one. You're looking at, I mean, Belichick would Belichick notoriously drafts guys that play special teams in the second round. Like, Uh and I know that he wasn't really a special teams guy at Baylor, but I mean, someone has to replace Matthew Slater as like the elite gunner on the Patriots (laughs) special teams. And, (laughs) and I mean, this guy has it, like he's got the speed to do that. And you mentioned all of the vacated targets or the lack of vacated targets in Uh his offense. Like, is he even going to be on the starting offense? Like, we don't know. Like, they're still paying Nelson Aguilar. So it's like, does he have to now beat out Aguilar? Obviously, they can move on from Aguilar next year. And then you can see Thornton kind of kind of move in there. But, I mean, rookie receivers have really not done much ever in the New England Patriots tenure. Now that's because a lot of them have been horrible. But just in general, <laughs> it's just not a, a position I'm really gravitating towards in year one. So, you know, as like a from a best ball perspective, I just, I've seen Thornton, you know, drafted in like the 18th round or with your last pick and it's like honestly like i'd rather just like stack in uh mac jones with like johnny smith because i know i I just Mm. feel better about johnny smith having an expanded role in his second year based on the amount of money they paid him but he plays tight end like i feel like he'll be on the field a little bit more than he was last year whereas thornton uh, dude i I literally have no idea how much this guy's gonna play um so that that those are my concerns with him and even though i think that he does fit in what the patriots needed it was just egregious for them to overpay so much for, in my opinion, a pretty one-dimensional player that I'm not so sure like how much growth he really has. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. When when I look at Thornton, he play style. I think he's going to flash. I think if he does get in there, like you said, he's probably going to catch a deep 80-yard touchdown oh, yeah. at some point. Oh, where they just decide yeah, to throw him in. <laughs> People are going to talk about him, but play style and that explosive, just like out-of-nowhere type of production. He reminds me of a guy like Richie James in San Francisco. So he's a guy that, like, probably is going to get talked up a lot. He has he's a one guy, massive game Yeah, just like, one, hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's just one massive game where he's going to fill in and he's going to get talked up a lot and people are going to add him, but he's just never going to make the starting roster. Ever, ever going to make the starting roster. He's just going to die on people's taxi squads. Um, <laughs> that's my concern for Thornton. Um, the... That was head-scratching by the Patriots. Um, if we used to hate Shanna Hannigans at the running back position, what is happening with this running back room in New England? They brought in not one who was also one of my favorite running backs in the class, who is now dead to me, but they brought in two running backs in this draft class when you could argue that was the strength of their team last year. They brought in Pierre Strong in the fourth round. They bring in Kevin Harris in the sixth round. You bring in two completely different profiles, but two profiles that kind of mirror what you have in a big bruiser with 
underrated athleticism in Kevin Harris matching Damian Harris and sneaky. Well, not really sneaky athleticism with Pierre strong. Cause he's just a little freaking bottle of lightning basically, but Ramondre Stevenson, people forget like he broke like an 89 yard touchdown run last year. Like he, he's got some wheels and he's got some feet and he's freaking huge. So you just have a massive running back room right now where I have no idea how these are going to get devied up this year. I think this immediately tells you that they're not paying Damian Harris at the end of the year, but I just don't know what to look forward to or to even bank on when it comes to rookie drafts or redraft season for this running back room. How do you feel about it? Yeah, it would just be uh, for those that drafted Zemir White, hoping he'll be the Raiders running back next year. Just know that Damian Harris will probably also be the Raiders running back next year when Josh McDaniel signs him in free agency. <laughs> just, just a fair warning because, yeah, I think that you're spot on with Damian Harris. This is a pretty, pretty easy signal that he's not going to be re-signed, and they're probably going to run him into the ground this year, honestly. like That's been the M.O. <clears throat> for you know, guys like Belichick, like McDaniels. I look Looking back at some of the guys that they've had, whether it was LeGarrette LeBlunt, Shane Vereen, guys, they, they, they got the most usage out of them during their – last year on their contract so Mm -hmm. i think that drafting these two running backs now initially it looks like oh man like this there's so many running backs in this backfield right now but they're not all going to be active on game day i mean look ramondre stevenson was barely active in the start of the season jj taylor was another guy that they had interested in that looked like he could be the next you know james white he fumbled okay now he's not even going to be active anymore so the way i see it is pierre strong is the next james white you know in in waiting in the wings and then Kevin Harris looks like he's going to probably be Stevenson's backup. If Stevenson takes a, a step forward in your two and Stevenson will be there, you know, quote unquote RB one um, in entering his third season when the team moves on from Damian Harris. And, and that's the thing, like the two running backs that they drafted, I think that you mentioned that I, I like both of them. And I thought yeah. Pierre strong and obviously a super explosive running back that was uber productive um, at the FCS level. Um, that's what you need to be. Like, if you're going to go to a small school, then you better dominate. And I know that he reminded me a lot of Darren McFadden, just kind of like watching his tape in, in the good way. The good Darren McFadden, yeah. not like the all oh, my injured Darren McFadden. I mean, not even like the the bad comp aspect of that kind of fits too. Darren McFadden is a little bit upright of a runner. Yeah. That's what you get with Pierre Strong. For me, I see a lot of Tony Pollard when I'm yeah. looking at Pierre Strong. That's like they're shot out of a cannon. They hit the line and it doesn't matter if they slam right into that linebacker. They're going to be doing it at 25 miles an hour. Um, Yeah. It's just intriguing to see how this is going to pan out. Um, If Pierre strong is able to steal this running back job, nothing would make me happier, but I don't think it's going to happen. My, my two darlings in the class were Pierre strong and Khalil Shakir. Um, they were my sneaky picks, and they just kind of got buried. <laughs> the thing with the thing with Strong too is, I know that we've seen reports already come out saying that he's going to be like you know the next James White, and, and James White has obviously there are concerns about whether he's going to be available or not. It's like if he's not there, like is Pierre Strong immediately going to fill in and be that guy? And I'm just like, guys, like pump the brakes. Like the Patriots have just like what Ramondre Stevenson did last year as a rookie is unheard of for a yeah. Patriots rookie running back. Like they redshirt these guys more often than not. And really, it was they were kind of forced. They kind of had their hands. And look, the Patriots were not going to play Stevenson. Like he was inactive for like the yeah. a grand portion of the beginning of the season. And it's like, oh my god, like this guy has no value. Like what's going on? He's never going to play. And then eventually, they needed to turn to him as guys got banged up. Opportunities arose for Ramondre Stevenson. Also, too, last year Damian Harris got banged up, and they did not have the depth 
outside of him to use anyone else. Like they had a lot of injuries at running back. So I think that's why they realized, cause it, it was funny because they traded Sony Michelle because they're like, Oh man, like the running back room is so strong. Yeah. And then, you know, a few weeks into the season, you're like, Oh, Oh no. Like we like, we needed more running backs. Like why did we trade Sony Michelle? So I think it's just bolstering the position and they got two guys. It's not like they had to overpay for either player. So I didn't mind those picks. I think they're just kind mm-hmm. of more forward thinking of, okay, we're going to move on from Damian Harris. Let's just get these guys. We like these guys now. And I don't think that they were you know, bad players. I mean, with Kevin Harris specifically, I mean, he had a monster dominator, re- dominator mm-hmm. rating in 2020. Um, obviously, he took a backseat last year to uh, Zaquandre White. Um, but why? the skill was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like, why? Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, that, that's the thing. Ke- Kevin Harris was a ton of fun to watch in 2020. It was one of those things. It was short in season, but he was yeah. just prolific. He was showing that he was an amazing pass catcher as well, which at 225, when you're seeing that out of a big boy who can also scoot on the outside, amazing. But he's got back injury concerns for me, so that's the only thing. That's the only reason he wasn't higher in my draft, like pre-draft rankings, is just because I, I don't think he's the same player right now as what he was in 2020. Um, but yeah, no, I, I am very much ready for the Patriots just to like draft Bijan Robinson next year and then just <laughs> screw all of this over and it not even matter at all for any of these running backs. But, um, yeah, no, the, the Patriots are interesting. Um, I don't think the one point I do want to mention before we get off the phone, before we wrap up the Patriots is so with the yeah. offensive coordinator thing, and I think that's <laughs> definitely something that's like, Oh God, it's, I mean, if Joe judge is calling plays, it's like, Oh my God. It's really hard as a Patriots fan to like, even spin this. And like, how can I spin this in a positive way? There is no way to do it. And the way I spin it from, I guess we're talking from a bias perspective is Mm -hmm. that the offensive coordinator is actually going to be back Jones. Like he's going to be the guy at the control center with his supercomputer brain. And he's going to be doing everything and pulling all the levers and they're going to put more on him in year two. You know, Bill Belichick and the in the franchise are so are so confident in their quarterback that they don't even need an offensive coordinator because he's going to be running the show. So that that's what I'm hoping. Honestly, fingers crossed. Like that's what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, no, the uh, OC thing is definitely uh, something that's not ideal right now. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, if you want to go purely optimistic side, we're we're kind of skipping that a little bit with the Patriots just because of where they drafted these players and our general concern, which is justified, but. You want to look at what Matt Jones was really successful with. It was throwing to a wide-open Jalen Waddle, a wide-open Devonta Smith deep down the field on kind of a rainbow pass. He doesn't have an amazing arm, but if he knows he already have a step on a guy and you run that 4-3 speed, pretty easy just to kind of sling that up deep and let your guys go and do it. So if you want to look at Taekwon seeing the field or maybe even a bump to Aguilar, that could be optimistic. But, yeah, McDaniel's losing. So the best thing I did this offseason, tangent away from the Patriots, but still related, um, when McDaniel's left and joined the Raiders, I immediately traded for two shares of Derek Carr before they even signed Devontae Adams or before they even traded for Devontae Adams, anything like that, because it was the first time – where I saw the situation and said, this is going to help the quarterback be a better quarterback and not a better game manager. Because even with Gruden, it was a heavy run scheme, a heavy short passing scheme. But with McDaniels, it's wide open. He's actually going to help you. Um, You're losing, in my opinion, the most important piece on the offense other than Brady over the last decade. And it's concerning to me um, for the entire offense as a whole. But you hope that guys like Jonu, who I have so many shares of, uh, (laughs) just pulls himself out of the grave from what happened last year and maybe splits 50-50 with Hunter Henry now. Um, But you got a lot of 
athletes at offensive weapons. Now you just got to kind of piece it together. Um, another team though, that has athletic freaks that did everything possible to surround their quarterback with run after the catch specialist, deep threats, a la Debo Samuel, a la what they kind of been doing in San Francisco is the old San Francisco OC now led Miami dolphins. They finished nine and eight. Some reason, not going to get into the politics of it. I think we all know where I stand on it, but um, Flores was fired after going eight and zero down the stretch and almost making the playoffs. You bring in Mike McDaniels to take over the offense and change the team, hopefully revive the team with Tua at the helm. Um, you know what happens when you have 183 vacated targets and you add threats like Tyreek Hill, Cedric Wilson, and Chase Edmonds? You get a lot of production on an offense that has for whatever you want to say, a rhythm passer that is accurate, short to intermediate. Um, This offense could be extremely explosive this year, and you could have multiple wide receivers and even multiple running backs with their current roster be successful flex pieces for your team, but it all hinges on to a Tungabailoa's shoulders. And I think that's where a lot of the hiccups and the hesitation is for myself as well as you. Um, but what is your take after losing guys like Fuller, Devontae Parker, their only true X receiver, um, who they then replaced with a guy who was kind of a crappy X receiver in college, if you ask me personally. But this team's intriguing. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of intriguing rookie production, mainly because they have one rookie skill position that they added in Eric Izukanma. Um, but it's intriguing. Uh, what's your take on Miami? I know you're a little bit more negative on them than I am. Yeah, I think that with the Dolphins, you know, one of the things is I'm trying to find, you know, especially like with Tyree Kill, you, you know, you're looking for quarterbacks that unlock. I want my quarterback to unlock my player's upside. And I don't think Tua is that guy. I think Tua is the kind of like you mentioned, like good short to intermediate, like kind of, you know, carry the ship and just, I mean, he's been a game manager. Like, like, like let's not like beat around the bush and say that he's this elite passer. He's going to rise above, like, if he has a good year this year, it's it's probably not because of him. It's because his numbers look really good because he's dumping the ball off and Tyreek Hill runs for 80-yard touchdowns. Like, that's what we know the path for success is. And I just can't help but think, like, how is this not a retread of Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco? Like, it's the same offense coming over. And how, how, how excited are we to start Jimmy Garoppolo in fantasy? We're not. Even though, like, oh, the matchup's great, and then he throws three interceptions, and you're like, why did I do that? And, you know, the weapons were there, too. George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, like all the weapons were there, but it's still a run heavy offense. Mike McDaniels made his, made the ranks and moved up the college or like, excuse me, the coaching ranks because of being a run game coordinator. Like that was his specialty before becoming offensive coordinator last year where, oh yeah, the 49ers offense running was really great again. So he's brought in all these running backs, you know, signed Chase Evans to a big deal, signed Sony Michelle in free agency, bring in Raheem Mostert. Like they're going to run the football. So they're going to run the football and it's going to be a bunch of quick hitters to Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill. And yes, in some games, it's going to work out. Like you're not going to see like these guys just fall off the face of the earth and not score any fantasy points at all. But I just think that the, the upside ultimately is going to not be that great. And it's going to be like the 49ers where we see one guy eat, especially if guys get hurt. Like if one of Waddle or Hill gets hurt, like, oh my God. Like that, the one that's healthy is just going to see like 15 targets a game. Like I have no doubt in my mind that that player is going to like explode and have like Debo Samuel production from last year. 
where it's just like all phases of the game they're getting the ball. But they're both on the field. Like, that's when I have issues where how are touches going to get split. And it's one of these things where I don't know, like, how much they involve Mike McDaniel specifically in getting Tyreek Hill. Because when he got first hired by the Dolphins, you know, it was Waddle that he was, like, really, really excited about. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it was, like, in his press conference, he's like, or someone asked him about fantasy, I think. And he's like, Waddle, Waddle, just get ready for Waddle. Yeah. And we're all like, oh, baby, here we go. Um, it's going to be Jalen Waddle season. And then they get Tyreek Hill after they signed Cedric Wilson who yeah. I thought was like a really, I was like, oh, like Cedric Wilson in the slot, like that makes a lot of sense. And then they have Mike Gusecki there as well, guy who also played like in the slot. So I'm just like, and then Tyreek Hill, oh, also like playing the slot. Like it just like, it just, yeah. it, it, it didn't really seem like it added up with adding everything beforehand. Like if they had signed Tyreek Hill like initially, I think they would have made different moves in the off season. And I almost feel like the Tyreek Hill trade acquisition was more of the owner and management being like, no, we're getting two of the best damn weapons we can get, and you have to figure it out. Like Mike Vidal, like, we don't care. Like, we're giving you all the pieces. You have to figure it out. So, and it's it's easy to look back and see, like, oh, there's so many weapons. Like, you just have to put them all on the field. Like, you get Tyree Kill his touches. You get Tua, or you get Waddle his touches. But it's not that simple. Like, it really has to be a, a balance. And this is Mike McDaniel's first year being a head coach. Like, and he has to keep all of his playmakers happy. And that's a hard job to do. And and I just think that, especially with the fact that his expertise, again, is in the running game, mm-hmm. I think that there are going to be some hiccups in this offense, especially early on, and people are going to get frustrated. Um, for me, from a dynasty perspective, I'm like, I don't want anything to do with Tyreek Hill at this point. Um, I think that he's like an easy sell, and Waddle is a screaming buy. It's like, mm-hmm. it would not surprise me at all to see Waddle be better than Hill this year. Hill, would, Hill dealt with bat, lower body injuries last year. He's an older receiver. I mean, I wouldn't say older as in like, oh, he's like, super old, but he's still getting up there in age. Like he's kind of hitting that age apex and he's a speed receiver where those guys tend to not age as well as some of these older, bigger guys that necessarily don't necessarily win with separation. They can do other things, but if Tyreek Hill loses a step, then that like matters. So that's kind of why with Tua, I mean, his a dot last year was 34th in the league. And I mean, look at the 40, what was Jimmy Garoppolo's? Like he's been at the bottom of the league in a dot over the last three seasons. So the best thing about Hill was his ability to take the top off the defense. That's always been his best ability. I know they shifted his role a little bit last year to be more of a yak guy, and it's not saying he can't do that as well. But, I mean, he, he was – someone at PFF literally said he was the best deep threat ever, like better than Randy Moss. And now you're giving – it's like you're giving that guy to the guy that cannot throw deep. Or Okay, sorry. Not throw deep. I shouldn't say that. I should say that the team does not – have the confidence that this quarterback can throw the ball downfield consistently. And I know that people will point out, and this is a trap I fell into, story mm. time. Daniel Jones. <laughs> Daniel Jones, before last year, had a very high passer rating on targets 20-plus yards down the field. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, like, Kenny Galladay's going there. Like, this is a perfect fit. And then you, like, look at the sample size, and you're like, oh, my God, like, he, like, threw downfield, like, 15 times. And, like, that's yeah. why his pass rating is so high. And for me – those those statistics are very noisy in terms of downfield attempts because it can mm-hmm. be very skewed if depending on how many times a player throws downfield. And if we're just kind of taking a step back, the best deep ball throwers, if your coach believes you're one of the best deep ball throwers, you're going to throw the ball deep a lot. Like that's who the best deep ball throwers are, are the guys that mm-hmm. actually attempt the ball downfield. So even if their final statistics are not that great, look at how often they're, they're going downfield. So I don't yeah. buy the excuse that, oh, well, he's not going down that field that much. But when he, when he does go downfield, oh, baby, he's efficient. It's like, yeah, because he probably only goes downfield when someone is freaking wide open and the coaches are never calling him downfield plays. 
So yeah. that's the kind of how I view it. That's something I, I learned a lesson because I fell for it with Daniel Jones thinking that, oh, maybe he's got some untapped potential. But the fact of the matter is if the coaches aren't calling downfield plays for you, they probably don't think they probably don't have the confidence that you are an elite downfield passer. And I don't think that we should believe that either. I think that you want quarterbacks that are throwing downfield more and that's who you should view as the best downfield passers, not necessarily ones that put up good numbers on small sample sizes. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, another criminally underrated player that I always talk about just waiting for him to find a new team is Darius Slayton, just because I think he would be very good as a deep threat for another team. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I couldn't agree more with that. The whole premise with me with Miami right now is like as as overblown as it is in the community in general and talked about in the community in general, um, it holds its weight. You, you need an X, you need a Y, and you need a Z. Um, they have two Z's and two Y's, uh, like at the end of the day, that's, that's what you have. So you have guys that are going to be playing out of position. Realistically, my biggest concern with Tyreek, I'm still high on him. It's just, we've never seen him in a non Andy Reed offense. And you can say what you want about Mike McDaniels, but at the same time, it's not like Shanahan wasn't the overarching guy calling plays in San Francisco on the offense. So it's okay to be concerned. Um, Cedric Wilson might be the cheapest and most beneficial piece to your team because I think they're literally going to just stick him in the slot and just say, run the slot routes, get open. <laughs> We're going to throw you the ball six yards down the field and you're going to get nine yards every time. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. The running back position is also just so messy right now with all the guys that they have in there. Um, two guys that fit basically the perfect prototypical role for a Shanahan offense in Chase Edmonds and Raheem Moster, and then they brought in Sony Michelle, who perfectly matches a guy that they already had in Miles Gaskins on the roster. So once again, you got a starter and a backup for a grinder in between the tackles and a scat back on the outside who's you would hope would catch a lot of passes, but in this offense, probably won't with all the mouths to feed. So yeah, a lot of question marks with the people in this Miami offense. Um, I think it's more concerning of how they're going to get it done as opposed to do they have the talent to get it done for me, though, at the end of the day. Um, and then the laughing stock of the NFL um, <laughs> outside of Jacksonville Jaguars for the last better part of a decade here. Um, the team that did what I wished my Chicago Bears would do and actually attempt or at least give the illusion that you're attempting to improve your quarterback's opportunity this year and the New York Jets. They went 4-13 and last year off of one of the most rollercoasty seasons you'll see from a quarterback with Zach Wilson um, being outplayed at times by Joe Flacco, by Josh Johnson, um, slightly concerning uh the, the four completion, four interception, three quarters of a game midway through last season is where I always just sit there and I'm like, no. I was like, that reminds me of a Nathan Peterman game, and I will never get behind a Nathan Peterman best prospect. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, there's still the arm talent. All the weapons in the world were brought in this year, and they have 218 vacated targets. Um wild. Uh, they have Jameson Crowder leaving, Keelan Cole leaving, Ryan Griffin leaving, pretty much every tight end on the roster leaving. Um, the running back room is pretty much the same, but they brought in arguably the best wide receiver running back tight end tandem that was brought into any team this year on paper in Brees Hall 
at the running back position out of Iowa State, Garrett Wilson out of the Ohio State at wide receiver, and Jeremy Ruckert out of the Ohio State at tight end. Um, the issue is they did add quite a few skill position players as well in the offseason. Um, they went and completely remade their tight end position, bringing in two guys that, although not the athletic burners that you would associate with an explosive offense, are extreme producers and consistent producers in CJ Uzoma, who had a career resurrection finally after being injured perennially over the last three to four years in Cincinnati. Um, You have Tyler Conklin, who kind of burst onto the scene last year with the injury to Irv Smith. And then you're bringing in Jeremy Ruckert, who is a complete projection basically at the tight end, but has a lot of athletic traits that the other two do not have. Um, The offense is completely set up. Their depth chart looks better than quite a few depth charts in the NFL, um, just with a massive red asterisk next to the quarterback position. And I think that squarely lands on the shoulders more than anything with the offensive coordinator in Mike LaFleur. Um, If you want to say what you want about Zach Wilson, and if you think he's your guy, Um, If you fire Mike LaFleur at any point during this season due to inefficiencies for me in this offense, that screams exactly what happened to Sam Darnold, and I'm concerned about the offense. Uh, If you are seeing flashes and Mike LaFleur makes it throughout the season, I feel more comfortable with Zach Wilson going forward out of this season. Uh, That's just kind of the mindset I'm going in with this 2022 year. But um, there is a large opportunity for extreme fantasy producers from this rookie class um, what's your take on these three players that I mentioned, Hall, Wilson, and Ruckert coming into the draft, and then what realistically you could see them looking like mid to late season in 2022? Yeah, so Brees Hall, we'll start with him. I mean, he was my number one running back into the draft, you know, pre-draft, and I expected him to be the first one selected. I mean, the Jets were rumored to willing to trade up to the first round to take him. They were like, oh, well, let's make it four first-round picks. Like, come on, let's keep keep them coming. But they, they had to jump up to get in front of the, the Houston Texans to get Brees Hall. And, I mean, I think that the fit is really good. I mean, I think that they need to take some of the pressure off of Zach Wilson, run the football. Michael Carter was nice for them in relief last year. But this Brees Hall selection tells you what they think about Michael Carter and that he's a, he's a backup running back. Like, he's a complimentary back. He's nice in spots. But, I mean, he, when they tried to give him, like, the workload last year, he got hurt. Like, he could not handle everything, and he was never a bell cow back, even at UNC when he was super productive. He was right next to Javante Williams. Like, and that's not a knock on Michael Carter, like, the player. Like, he's good in his own right, but in his – it's a limited. Like, that's what he has, and they needed more from Brees Hall, or they can get more from Brees Hall to help out with Zach Wilson. So I, I, I expect Brees Hall to be the bell cow back there. I don't expect a lot of touches necessarily for Michael Carter. And if you even look at the way that the – touches were distributed between Michael Carter when Tevin Coleman was healthy last year. Michael Carter was was around 14 touches per game and in the games without Tevin Coleman, Michael Carter was around like 19 touches per game. So, if you're looking at even with Michael Carter, you know, even if he's working in, you know, alongside Brees Hall, they're using both guys. Brees Hall seeing the 14-15 touches per game. That's still going to get Brees Hall up to 250 touches. And every running back that hit that mark last year was a top 15 running back in fantasy. So I really think that Brees Hall as a high-end RB2, mid-range RB2, his first year I think is well within reach, even if this Jets offense doesn't take a massive step forward. I think that the fact that he can play on all three downs, super productive at the college level, 
I know that the combine testing was really great, and I know that a lot of running backs tested really well. So I, I'm not willing to say that like Brees Hall really has like a Jonathan Taylor esque profile. I think that his his numbers are slightly inflated, um, but he's definitely like it's still an it's still a high tier, but just like another notch down. It's kind of like you know Jonathan Taylor light, where hey. Uh, you want to be excited about that in dynasty, in my opinion. So I still think Brees Hall is someone that I want to attach myself to, and any discount I can get on him based on the fact that you know he's on the Jets. Oh, it's gross. It's like, hey man, this is a really good setup. And if Zach Wilson flames out, they may just be like, you know what, we're gonna just trade for a veteran quarterback at this point. Like we have a good roster. Zach Wilson wasn't the answer. Let's just trade someone like, oh, like plop down, you know, the next veteran quarterback. Aaron Rodgers, come down. Like who cares? Like he, he'll he'll get traded or, or something along those lines because <laughs> quarterbacks are moving like left and right, like so quickly now that a, a bad situation can turn great. I mean, I was telling people all my articles before Russell Wilson got traded to the Broncos. I was like, buy Cortland Sutton, buy Jerry Judy, like buy these talented receivers because it literally all it takes is one trade. And then, they, then you can just trade these guys for so much more than they're worth right now. So that's kind of how I feel about the Jets, you know, filled with a lot of talent. Can Zach Wilson get them there? Remains to be seen, but hey, we don't even know if he'll be the quarterback answer. They may try to address it somewhere else. So that's kind of my take with Brees Hall. With Garrett Wilson, I liked him. He was my pre-draft wide receiver one. Uh, that's who I thought was the main guy there. Now, he's moved a little bit in the rankings just based on where he went, based on where some of the other guys went in the rankings. And it's it's tough for me to to really get a good gauge on with Garrett Wilson because I, I loved Elijah Moore. Like, Elijah Moore was like my, gra- my draft crush last year. Mm-hmm. Guy can just talk about that at length. Yeah. It's it just yeah. like, I, I thought that he was like this just stud from the sec coming out, like uber productive, like PPR machine. And I mean, we got what we wanted out of him last year. I mean, he was a wide receiver two in his last six games played with Mike white, Zach Wilson, Josh Johnson, like all these scrub quarterbacks and he was still getting it done. And, but the important thing is it, it, the, the, the production has somewhat of like a Brandon Ayuk type of production attached to it, where, there really was no one else in the offense at that point. Like he was the guy there. And again, give credit to him. Cause there are a lot of guys that try to be the guy that can't do anything. Uh, so so that, that, that still warrants, you know, praise from people that are looking at Elijah Moore. And I just don't want, I, at first I was like, oh, man, this sucks for more. Cause they drafted Wilson. And I was like, well, maybe this sucks for Wilson. Cause I like Elijah Moore. And it's, it's tough because I really like both players. Both guys I think are elite at getting open. Um, um, Elijah Moore out of, Ole Miss had an 84%, you know, open win rate in terms of getting open from separation on his targets. Garrett Wilson was right up there. His final year at Ohio State at 84%. So it's like these guys are just getting open at will, and that's going to help Zach Wilson a lot. It's just a matter of, okay, but who is he going to gravitate towards? Like who is going to be his guy? And, of course, the Twitter sphere has pictures of Zach Wilson wearing a Braxton Berrios Mm T-shirt. So I'm just like – Oh my God. Like what is going on here? And they re-signed Braxton Berrios to a deal. They like him. And he's a guy that plays in the slot. And I just can't help but think it's like, I think I was talking on Instagram live and I was talking about, I I had like convinced myself that Braxton Berrios is going to be like Hunter Renfro this year where we were all trying to project. Oh, is it Brian Edwards? Is it Henry Ruggs? Like it's all these other, and then the whole time it was just this, like this white slot receiver that just always gets targets and it's like Braxton Barrios becomes Zach Wilson's favorite target, and Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson are like staring back at each other, being like, "All right, um, what's going on here? Like, we're like we're the better players, but we're not getting the ball." So that's where I'm concerned about those two players. And Jeremy Ruckert, again, 
not used a lot in the passing game at Ohio State. Not to say that he can't do it because he just, I mean, when you're surrounded by elite receivers, I mean, if you're the quarterback, you're not throwing, you're just not going to throw the ball to your tight end. Like, it's just not happening. And I actually like Tyler Conklin as the tight end kind of like sleeper there for the Jets because I think Ruckert and even Rucker from like get, the get go is a better run blocker and pass blocker than Tyler Conklin is the same thing with Uzoma. So I think that the team, the Jets view Tyler Conklin as their kind of like receiving tight end where the other guys will be used more in a blocking capacity. So especially like two tight, two tight end sets, which I assume they'll probably mm-hmm. use a lot because they have a lot of tight ends. It's going to be Conklin running the routes, which I think is going to help him produce. And I think that he's someone that you can get really, really cheap because like people are looking at the Titans they add and be like, oh man, like Tyler Conklin, like, oh, he's like buried. It's like, okay, but like zoom out. Like you don't necessarily need to really care that these are the blocking tight ends. Like no one cares that, oh, that um, Drew Sample is there uh, in Cincinnati for Hayden Hurst. Like everyone knows oh Hayden Hurst is going to be the pass catching tight end. So like no one is yeah. even considering Drew Sample as like a threat. And I, I really think that that's how we should view this situation. I really don't think Uzoma or record are really a threat to Tyler Conklin in the passing game. And that's not the consensus take. So Conklin, again, the tight end 15 last year, like that was a guy that was starting in your lineup every single week for the most part, if you didn't have a locked and loaded tight end. And I fell for this trap last year where I, where I ignored a tight end that actually showed he could produce in Dalton Schultz. Like before he broke out this past year's tight end Uh four, he was tight end 12. And all I would talk about was freaking Blake Jarwin coming back from his like third ACL injury, which was a horrible mistake. And I'm not trying to do that again with Blake with uh, with Tyler Conklin, who I think is someone that, especially like tight end premium leagues. Oh my god, like go scoop up Tyler Conklin because I think that's going to shock people how productive he is in this offense, especially because like I said, I, I don't know who Zach Wilson's going to gravitate towards. We've seen Michael Floor come obviously from the 49ers offense, tight ends. Like, that's a big part of their offense. And Conklin, I think, can show last year that he can be that type of guy. So they paid him a decent amount of money, and I think that he could be someone that people are overlooking a little bit. So, yeah, the Jets have a lot of moving pieces. It's going to be interesting to see. And, again, I always want to try to be the guy that's, like, the buyer of talent. And I think Elijah Moore is probably, like, the cheaper of the two guys between him and Garrett Wilson just because of the draft capital. And, like, for that reason, I'm just going to buy Elijah Moore. Kind of in a – I kind of view the – the, the take on Twitter has been like the, the Jets are like the, the very poor man's Bengals where you're like Elijah Moore is T Higgins. Garrett Wilson is Jamar Chase. And we're just trying to like get these pieces to work together because Higgins value fell when Jamar Chase landed there. Cause like, oh man, like he's not going to see any targets, but T Higgins is just really good. So it's like, no, that's why he's a buy. And, and that's kind of yeah. how I feel about Elijah Moore. Yeah. And th- that fits perfectly. I mean, it's a pretty good situation. Um, my concern is in a similar vein to Miami. You have a lot of guys that play the exact same similar role in that offense where realistically you, I mean, I think Garrett Wilson can play anywhere in the offense. Um, but a guy you didn't mention is the guy who arguably has the best rapport with Zach Wilson. And that's Corey Davis. Um, oh. While on the field, <laughs> I know, I know it's, it's ugly and I don't feel great saying it, but like, when he was healthy and on the field last year with a healthy and on the field, Zach Wilson, they looked good. They looked very good and produced. It's just, they did the classic. I'm going to be injured for three games, hold out. And then as soon as I come back, break your leg type of situation, (laughs) basically for like the entirety of the season. And so it's one of those things where you have one X and then you have four guys that can cycle in basically playing either the Z or the Y. So 
I'm interested to see how it's split up. Um, I agree that Elijah Moore is obtainable. I have been attempting to obtain him. Um, his value right now is about where it was last year during rookie draft. Um, you can, from what I've seen and what I've been able to acquire him for with the addition of Garrett Wilson, you're able to get Elijah Moore for right around that back end first to early second round in your rookie drafts right now. Depending on the owner, you may have to throw in a third or something, but that's non-consequential to me. Um so it's it's interesting to see how it's all going to pan out. Um, I have been I'm always a proponent for purchasing second year wide receivers, regardless, especially anyone that showed even remote flashes. That's why I have like an 85 percent uh, roster ship of Darnell Mooney, uh, like across all of the boards. I've said I've seen you tweeting out about Darnell. You're, you're getting on board finally. All right, yeah, I, I played yeah, this man. to Deontay last year, and I was like. Why is no one as high as I am on Darnell Moody right now? I don't get it. And then what do you know? <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it's interesting to see how this Jets team is going to pan out. Um, CJ Uzoma, for me, I, I think the only disagreement I've truly had with you is the way that the tight end is going to work out. Um, CJ Uzoma was one of my favorite ads early in the season last year, and it's because Drew Sample proved very early on that he was not the receiving option on the team. Um, it may have leaned a little bit more into the offensive scheme, but what we also saw is that in the red zone, in this Michael LaFleur offense, they target the tight ends like crazy. And if there's one thing CJ Uzoma is extremely good at, it's getting open and making the contested catches when he has to in the red zone. Um, he was one of not really a boom bust guy, even last year, but he was one of the highest producers at the position when it came to multi-touchdown games. Um, for those, you may not be accustomed, but for those on the DWZ network, I'm known as the tight end whisperer because last year I was able to, uh, average, if you take out one poor game with the Mike Gusecki zero for zero, uh, if you take that out, I averaged 19 points per game in standard PPR scoring at the tight end position across the first 13 weeks. So I was killing it, but Uzoma was a large reason why I was able to pump up that just because, even with big targets, he was a fine target for Joe Burrow, and he's really efficient at getting open in tight spaces. That's why he's a chain mover. That's why he's a guy that catches all these touchdowns. And, yes, you have a lot of very good route runners, but you don't have a ton of size at the wide receiver position in this New York Jets receiving core. And so when push comes to shove, one of these tight ends is going to kind of come out of the woodwork realistically as the red zone target for the team. And I think it's going to be Zoma as opposed to Conklin. But again, it's the only discrepancy we've had. Um, it's been a great show, man. Uh, it, it, it went a little bit longer than I anticipated or told you to, but this seems to happen every time me and you get together on a podcast. It usually goes pretty fluidly for us. But um, yeah, for all of you listening, that was pretty much the AFC East. There's a lot of question marks um, at both the rookie positions, at the veteran positions, the offensive coordinators, the overall outlook for pretty much every quarterback in the division as well outside of Josh Allen. Um, so th- I think it's going to be pretty interesting. Um, is there anything else that uh, you can think of? Maybe you forgot or anything that you want to chat about before we just go into plugs and you tell the people everything that you want to tell them? No, I mean, I just can't believe we were our, our one disagreement was on Jets tight end and <laughs> who's <was> the <laughs> Jets tight end one. It'll be fun to, to chop it up when we come back on next year and be like, okay, man, yeah. you got to pay up, dude. Uzoma with his 10 touchdowns. Was like, yeah. Come um, on, man. You, you called it. <laughs> So that would be a fun thing to, to, to look back on when the, the Jets season concludes. But I actually have one question for you, and this is something I've been proposing yeah. to people. Um, I'm just kind of interested, you know, because I'm a little bit lower on Tua. Who, in your opinion, 
Who's a better quarterback, Tua or Mac Jones? Uh, I'm going to be honest. It's probably Tua right now for me, and it's just because I've seen, albeit nothing explosive over the first two years of it, I've seen consistent play for two years. Mac Jones, we saw one year of pretty consistent play, but he also had some bad games in there in a similar way to what we saw from Tua in his first season. He had just two or three starts where you're like, all right, yeah, there's some rookie hiccups. Um, There's also, I mean, say what you will, I get it was a blizzard game, but the fact that he only had three attempts in that game against the New England Patriots, I'm just like, you, I mean, you don't think he's a quarterback. Like you literally do not think that your man is a quarterback because I can tell you right now, Josh Allen may not have had 40 attempts, but dude was pushing 30 still. And yeah, I get, he's got a rocket, but it. Right, okay, are- okay. Okay. How many, how many attempts do you think Tua would have had in that game? I'm just I'm like, it's not fair to compare. It's not fair to compare Mac Jones to Josh Allen, but I mean, like how, how much of two have thrown in that game? Probably not that much either. Yeah. Like 10. I, I don't know, man. But I mean, they're realistically, they're like the same place. Like I have them squarely in quarterback two territory in the group of probably five to six quarterbacks that could be anywhere in that range. And I wouldn't be shocked. Um, do I see either of them ever encroaching on the top five? No. Um, do I see either of them falling off the face of the planet like Baker Mayfield? Possibly. I mean, it it, it just kind of depends on the situation. And one of them right now is set up significantly better to succeed than the other one. Um, so I feel like this year is probably going to tell us the correct answer to that question. Are you willing to just follow up so on Tua? Mm-hmm. So I think that I, I'm trying to sell like based on like the situation, like it looks like it's, he's going to do really well. And I'm just going to like, Hey, you know what? I don't think, I think he's going to underwhelm. I don't think he's going to deliver. So I'm going to sell based on the hype and the hope that he, cause his value has definitely gone up, you know, because of all mm-hmm. the pieces they've added because there, there should be excitement. Like, so are you in that ilk as well? Or you're like, no, like I want to, I think that he can do it. I'm, I'm willing to wait it out and see his value grow even more after he has a good year. Or are you like, you know what? I'm cool with wiping my hands of Tua right now. He's this is, he's at a, a peak value right now because of all the weapons they've added. What, what, where are you moving with Tua? Oh, I, I would 100% sell just because anyone, anyone past Kirk cousins, I'm willing to sell at the quarterback position for me. Um, and also I just, nothing gets me enraged inside quite like Kirk cousins, like besmirching. <laughs> like I, I was able to just get him in a super flex in a 16 team for the one twelve. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I was just like, what are you? And that was sent to me. I didn't send that. And I was like, what are you doing? Like legitimately. Uh, but yeah, no. So anyone in that range, I'm willing to sell. He has probably the highest market value out of anyone in that range right now, outside of maybe like a guy like Trey Lance. Um, oh, yeah, probably Trey. has. <laughs> Trey Lance is like weight range of outcomes is, is just so massive. Yeah, I mean, you're just okay so like for instance in one of my startups last year i went first three rounds in a super flex and secured myself a quarterback or so i thought i literally went with justin fields trey lance and tua as my first three like quarterbacks off the board basically uh i now am concerned i have one quarterback and it's not a quarterback that i have inside of my top 12 so it's like one of those things where it's just like they're both enigmas they're both second year guys one didn't see the field at all one was thrust into a horrible situation and just beat the hell basically all year so 
I would 100% sell him right now based off of market value. If I could make a lateral move to a guy, let me just think off the top of my head. Literally, okay, so realistically, you can get probably Kirk Cousins and a guy, I'm just trying to think of a wide receiver, like a wide receiver two on an offense. Like, you could probably get Kirk Cousins and Hunter Renfro for Tua, and that's probably a trade that I would do, Yeah. like, in all reality. Uh, will Renfro get all the touches? That's another story, obviously. Wait, the, you got to tune to the AFC West podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that on the AFC West. But, I mean, <laughs> making a lateral move like that for a guy I have higher in my rankings is very easy for me to do, and it's something that I'll definitely be willing to do. It's just, like, I, I would – I wouldn't move off of Tua for Matt Jones plus unless I was getting a very nice piece thrown in because I think it's a pretty much just a lateral move. So I guess that's the best way to answer that question. Very long. I'm satisfied with the answer. And around way of talking about it. But yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was a good chat. Like I said, man, um, as you guys have listened to us, this was the AFC East first year forecasting episode here on the DWZ Network's Rookie Rundown. Andrew, tell the people where they can find you, what you got cooking right now. You want to plug any episodes, any fun things you got in the works for the people? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. Same thing on TikTok at Andrew Erickson underscore. And I'm just diving into doing, getting redraft stuff set up over at fantasypros.com. We have our draft kit coming out at the top of June. And yeah, man, it's just peak football season right now fantasy football season i should say it's it's it couldn't be less it couldn't be farther away from football season but and yet we're talking about all the teams i'm just excited you know every time i start writing a new article or doing a new twitter thread or whatever i'm just i'm, I'm just hyped so just check it all out yeah absolutely well thank you once again for coming on i had a good time it was a good way to start off this fun little series that we got cooking in the summer here on the dwz network and until next week have a wonderful time my beautiful people When we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. We won a game yesterday, and if we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak.